turning cookbooks into mountains of cash on today's episode. Today's episode is brought to you by SEM Rush. Started in 2008 with one mission, to make online competition fair and transparent with equal opportunities for all. To find out how SEM Rush can help you compete with the big boys, go to servenomaster.com backslash SEM Rush today. Are you tired of dealing with your boss? Do you feel underpaid and underappreciated? If you want to make it online, fire your boss and start living your retirement dreams now. Then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Serve No Master Podcast, where you'll learn how to open new revenue streams and make money while you sleep. Presented live from a tropical island in the South Pacific by best-selling author Jonathan Green. Now, here's your host. Over the last couple of weeks, I've gotten a couple of a group of interesting messages, all asking me about cookbooks. Launching books on Amazon, obviously, I know a great deal about Amazon. I know what you do about releasing books, and I actually do have a cookbook out there. I don't talk about it very much because. Honestly, it's not very good, but I'm going to take you through that process, how I release that book. And it does make money, but it's not like a masterpiece. Okay. It's not like a life-changing book. I don't recommend you buy it and start cooking from it. It's really, it's only recipes as well for infants. So it doesn't really target you. If you have teeth, you're too old for it. But I've received these couple of messages from people across the spectrum. Some of the people who messaged me said, oh, I thought about jumping into cookbooks, but I don't know anything about cooking. And someone else I'm talking with and working with now is one of the best cooks in America. Two ends of the spectrum, right? Master chef, someone who doesn't know anything about cooking. I'm very much in that knows very little about cooking. A lot of my conversations are asking what certain terms mean because there are always different trends in cooking. You know, there's uh, the paleo diet and then there's other stuff. Then there's ketosis, which is like hot keto is really popular right now. Uh, there's a possibility, and I've been talking to some friends about this, about alkaline becoming the next trend in dieting. Fat bombs is a popular term. I had to look up what that is. Like, why would I eat something called a fat bomb? That sounds horrible for me. So there's all these things that like an expert in cooking would just know that I don't know. My expertise isn't in cooking. My expertise is in books. And I do know the process. And I want to share with you the process of creating a cookbook and doing very well. Now, the first thing is I do not recommend going into it if you don't have the ability to create your own recipes or modify recipes or cook the dishes and take pictures. You have to have that level of expertise. An old method that someone I know used to teach, and I'm not going to say who they don't teach anymore, was to go to recipes.com, find a bunch of recipes, then go find pictures either on Google or stock photo images that look close enough and create a cookbook that way. Now, what you have there is what I call a legal nightmare because every aspect of your book is stolen. Now you could actually, those books did well for a while and you could get away with it for a while, but eventually someone notices that you've stolen a picture from their blog. People have ways of tracking that now. There are actually two image tracking services, TinEye and Google reverse image search. So if you steal someone's image, there's a very good chance that you'll get caught eventually. Even if the technology doesn't exist now, in two years it might exist. At the Olympics in Greece, They took everyone's blood and all these samples, all the Olympic people, and said, we're going to test your stuff as future tests get developed. So there are people who got a gold medal, whatever the Greek Olympics were, like 10 or 20, maybe, probably not 20 years ago. I think it was 10 years ago or something around then. Five or 10 years later, their medals got taken away when people retested the blood with more advanced tests. So just because you can get away with it now, doesn't mean you'll get away with it forever. And when you get caught on Amazon, you're messing with the beast. They're one of the biggest companies in America. And when they blacklist you, they are unforgiving. You could try to sneak back on and people do. They go, oh, I'm going to open up an account in my wife's name. I'm like, good luck. They'll find you. And they always do. They're very, very smart. And they don't even have to be that smart to catch you because guess what? When you're married to someone, your social security numbers are tied to each other. You have the same mailing address. 
you probably use the same computer or you have used the same computer in the past. If you've ever logged into Amazon from a computer and your wife has ever logged in using that exact same computer, even if it was 10 years apart, Amazon knows. They keep a record of that and they go, oh, no, something's going on here. And if they see enough signs of trajectory, they see enough signs that you might know a person, they have a manual check. A person goes and checks the two things and goes, and then you're done. You might fool a computer, but you won't fail a person. So I do not recommend going down that path. For my cookbook, what I did is I actually hired a grandmother to put together 25 recipes for me. She took all the pictures, which is why the pictures in my cookbook actually aren't that great, but they're real. So I don't have any plagiarism risks. It was totally original. And she took all the pictures and you could tell that she really took the pictures of real things. She worked really, really hard. She did a great job. Okay, one of the many times I went and hired someone on the outside. The reason I don't do a lot of cookbooks is hiring a cook, hiring someone who's been to, and I got bids from these people, hiring someone who's been to, uh, oh, what is it called? Not La Sauvignon Blanc, I think that's a wine, but there's, uh, whatever the famous cooking school in France is, I had someone who'd been there, you know, even people who've just gone there and graduated, for them to do a cookbook for you, you're looking at 10 times more money. Instead of a couple hundred dollars for like a dozen recipes, you're looking at thousands of dollars. And there's a reason for that. They have the expertise. If you want to go into cookbooks, that's a route you can go that I actually think is viable. If you have the funds, you'll eventually make all your money back for sure. That's one way to do it. What I really recommend for cookbooks is people that are actually cooks themselves, even if you're a home cook. So that way you can make your own recipes, take your own pictures and create something that's actually original. You have to, you know, you can tweak recipes and stuff. You can just copy and paste. And I've seen this before. People will copy and paste a recipe. And then you ever copy and paste something and like one little letter's missing? It changes a recipe when you mess up a letter. I've seen it before. It becomes the wrong food or the wrong measurement. Teaspoon, tablespoon. When you have it as an initial, as TSP and TSB, if you miss that last letter, the B or the P, it changes what the measurement is and the recipe becomes unviable. So people who try to make it, it won't work. And that's a nightmare when you get one of those reviews on Amazon and you're out of business. So the process though, let's go to now the, some of the caveats of my story. Let's go into the process now of actually launching a successful book on Amazon. Now, the first step is creating your brand. It's so, so important. And this is something I've been talking to with a couple of chefs that I talked to. You have to have a nickname and it can be, I've seen there's the shredded chef, there's the galloping gourmet, there's the naked chef, there's the barefoot contessa. Now, I don't know what a contessa is. And I meant to ask, I meant to ask one of the chefs I was talking to. I should probably just Google it. It probably means Italian mom or something. But every good chef has a name. Now, the Galloping Gourmet was a chef when I was a young kid. And he was kind of well-known, a little wine for the recipe and a little wine for the chef. So his show was a blast. After the first 20 minutes, it started getting more and more fun. I've actually recently watched an old episode, and I thought it was hilarious. At least the guy's having a real good time. So different chefs, there's the Naked Chef. You have this nickname. Now, you can also build a brand around your product or your messaging. And you can invent your own diet and you give it a cool name. A lot of these diets are all the same. They have different names. What do you call it? Whole30, the 5-2 diet. Uh, there's different variations on paleo. And I told you, you could even come up with one called the alkaline diet. That could be, that hasn't gotten really popular yet, but I think it's coming. And of course, any doctor or a serious chef knows that it's all, that's all just words. So having a brand or having something about your books is very, very important. Because if it's just called like Italian cooking, it's very hard to stand out from the crowd. And as a chef, we want you, as someone doing cookbooks, you want to create a series. The money comes from continuity, from the branding. So you have to have something that sticks. Everything I do is called Serve No Master so that it's easy to remember. If you Google Serve No Master, everything on like the first 10 pages of Google is all me. I think it used to be when I first started out, there was some competition, but that's all gone. 
Because there's, I mean, there's a band, I think there was a band called Servant of Master in the early 2000s. I think there's a song called Servant of Master. And there might be a Japanese movie. There's a couple of things that exist that came before me that used the same phrase, but they never tipped, they never became famous. And so my job is to create as much real estate. So my Facebook page or my Twitter or my LinkedIn and stuff all comes up first if you type in that. So you want to be someone who's easily searchable, easily rememberable and creating a brand. And it can come from different things. It doesn't have to be always super positive. It can be kind of neutral. The Naked Chef, I don't think cooks naked. You know, I've never seen him on TV naked. So you just create a name and whatever it is, it's something that helps you remember. And it also can be your cooking style. That's going to be the name of your series, but it depends where you want to go. If you want to be a chef who gets TV shows and kind of goes in that direction, having a chef name is very, very valuable. Once you've worked on your branding, step two is to know your expertise. There are chefs who know everything about baking. As you know, I, you know, there's TV shows where people just make cupcakes or just make cakes. And baking is very different than cooking. So if you watch like a cooking TV show or cooking movies, people are experts in different aspects of the kitchen because it takes a long time to master it. Just like in the Shaolin Temple, there's different weapons. You know, there's uh, the sticks and the circles and the different swords. Nobody knows how to use all of them. Most people are a master of one different weapon because it takes a really long time to learn it. It's the same thing for cooking. That's why people who do chocolate only do chocolate. To become a master chocolatier, and yes, I've watched the national championships on TV. Kind of boring because it's a little slow. They're not talking because they're so focused, but the ending is really cool. Watching the final part of their creations and stuff, that's amazing. There are people that only know how to work in one thing. So know what you're good at. Your expertise could be breakfast. Your expertise could be cooking for guests. Now that's great. That's actually a really wide open market right now. Event cooking. There's a couple of new event categories on Amazon that I'm very excited about that are blowing up. They're really wide opportunity. How to cook for your family on Thanksgiving, how to cook for your family on Christmas, how to have an emergency dinner. One of the ideas that I've been swirling is, and this is probably a project I'm going to do with one of the chefs that I've been talking to. I pitched this idea to him. Hopefully he likes it. Probably three or four books into the series is the idea of your wife or husband at home, whatever, you get to call like three o'clock from your spouse and they're like, hey, I'm coming home and I'm bringing the boss and the boss is bringing his wife or his husband, whatever. Okay. That moment where you've got to put together like an awesome dinner, but there's not that much time on the clock. You got two or three hours to put it all together, which includes shopping, preparation, making it look awesome. And there's this feeling when you have one of those dinners that you have to impress my family, we live in the middle of nowhere, but we did one of those dinners last, maybe a year, a year and a half ago. I still remember it because we put so much effort into it. And these are just for two people that we just met. They were just neighbors that were visiting for a little while. But I think that's a really cool space. And it's kind of a space that's growing on Amazon. There's not a specific category for it, but the categories of last minute cooking, the categories of emergency cooking, and the categories, these areas are growing. So there's a lot of ways you can become an expert. It doesn't have to just be health. It can be Okay, health is a very strong space as well, but finding your expertise and tying it into your brand, it can all make sense. You could even be the emergency chef, the last minute chef, and the cover of your cookbooks could look like that box that says break glass in case of emergency, and that could become your branding. That's just one of my ideas. You're more than welcome to steal it. Of course, if 50 people listen to this episode, all steal it, then you'll suddenly create your own market. But that could be your branding. That could be your area of expertise. Now, the third step of becoming a creating cookbooks is to draw a line in the sand. You cannot cook for everyone. There are several schools of cooking thought. One end of the spectrum is absolute healthy. I one time bought, when I was younger, I wanted to be a little healthier. I bought the American Heart Association cookbook. The recipes were dog food. I would say they were designed to taste horrible. So every time when it was like 
taste a little better or be a little healthier. They would always err towards healthy and you would end up with the recipes. They're basically the recipes the doctor tells you you have to go on um, after two or three heart attacks. So they created a cookbook that just tastes terrible. And if you have that cookbook or worked on it, I'm sorry, but you know I'm telling the truth. So I was not the target market, okay? You can find where your line is on the spectrum as far as healthiness, as far as flavor, as far as specific things. There are people that swear by sous vide and people that hate sous vide. If you don't know what sous vide is, it's coming. Sous vide is about to become a very, very hot topic in cookbooks as well. There are already two cookbooks in the topic trending. Recently, someone invented about two, two and a half years ago, at home sous vide machine, which is new. They were even on Shark Tank recently. They're even on the television show. So how they raised a bunch of money. So it's growing. I actually have a friend who owns one because I asked him about it. I go, hey, you're a cook. Do you have this at home sous vide thing? He goes, yeah, I actually do. So that could be an area that's growing. I've never had anything cooked in a sous vide. I actually didn't know how to spell it until I looked it up because it's S-O-U-S-V-I-D. I hope that's still right. That's how I remember looking at the other day. But that could be your thing. You could be the I hate sous vide or the I only use sous vide person. It's fine. There are a lot of people, really hot topic is crock pots or slow cooking. I don't, I've never owned one of those. I don't know how those devices work. I don't understand the idea of pressure cooking. I mean, I know you use pressure to make diamonds. See, I'm, I'm willing to share with you a little bit of my ignorance. I don't know a lot about cooking. I know some basic things. I know a lot about stir frying. I know a lot about Asian cooking. That's inside my wheelhouse. You know, I've actually made my own egg rolls. I've made my own, a lot of Asian dishes that are pretty complicated I've made. But when it comes to these complicated Western European devices, it's simply not something I really learned. You know, I lived in Japan for a long time. I've lived in Asia now for almost five years. That's what I know about. So those are the types of devices I know a little bit better. I know that the best part of a pig is the cheek. I know that if you live in Japan, when you're a guest, they offer you the eye, you have to eat it because it's considered the delicacy or the best part. But I don't know how to operate a sous vide machine, okay? But you can become someone, and you have to say, become someone who really is clear about what you are for and what you're against. There are a lot of diets out there. You can say, look, I'm really against these diets. I have a problem with these systems, and here's why. I don't think they're good for you. You know, I'm against no carb, or I'm against 5-2, or I'm against Whole30, whatever. You can pick ones and say, this is what I believe in, this is what I don't. And your recipes fall that line. And that way, people will become bigger believers in you. You don't want to just be generic cookbook. Because guess what? If I want to learn how to do French cooking, I know to buy the Julia Child's book. If I just want a generic, super hard French cooking book, okay, there's no reason for me to buy a newer book because there's a book out that has, I think, three or 400 recipes in it. But am I ever going to really want to make my own aspic? Probably not. It's very advanced cooking. But you can't just be generic because it's not enough because there's already generic answers. So it's about being a specialist. That's what people get excited by. The brand and the things you stand for and things you believe in. There's a reason I talk about my perspective on education all the time. And I don't hate teachers. I was a teacher for 10 years. My problem is the system and the rules for what teachers are allowed to do. I think actually people that go into teaching, they should be treated the way they are in Japan. In Japan, being a teacher is revered. If people know you're a teacher and you walk down the street, they treat you with respect. They bow to you. They're honored to talk to you. They're honored to have you in their store. They'll give you discounts and treat you with respect. It's opposite of America. And it's unfortunate. There's a reason that Japanese people are so smart. And that's one of them. That's why I love teaching high school there for two years. So, but I have my clear stance. I don't believe college is very good. A lot of it's because of shifts in the market and shifts in what they teach at college. I believe more in skill-based learning and in measuring success in different ways than most educational systems, but I'm very clear about how I stand. And in fact, a lot of my followers, a surprisingly large percentage of my fans are high school principals and high school teachers. You'd think those people would hate me, but they don't because I think what they do is the thought of being a high school principal, that's like the hardest job I could imagine. 
I can't think of anything more stressful than having 500 kids that you're in charge of making sure they don't hurt each other or hurt themselves or do something stupid. And that means a thousand parents who at any given time, at least one of them is always mad at you. That's a lot of stress and a lot of pressure that I couldn't do. But because I have a clear line in the sand about what I believe in and what I don't, I don't hide stuff. I've mentioned quite a few times that I don't like when entertainment podcasts become political. I think it's inappropriate. I think it's dumb. I was trying to listen today. I actually had to delete one of the podcasts I was listening to because the stuff they were saying was so inappropriate. Yet again, these guys who have a podcast, they were talking about a movie. They started talking about two people who weren't in the movie. They started hating on one actor because of his political views. At the same time, they have no problem with another actor who actually did something horrible to a child. And when I say did horrible, he was convicted. Okay, for me, don't talk about politics if you're going to be that much of a hypocrite. And I also don't think it's appropriate. I don't talk about political views on this podcast because it's not a political thing. It's not at all. My political view is make money, live wherever you want. That, I guess that's my politics. So when I see things that I don't like, I talk about them. I have my lines in the sand. And when you have those as a cook, they're very valuable. I believe in this. I don't believe in that. I have a big problem with paleo. Tell me why. I have a big problem with keto. Tell me why. That's really valuable. You can be the anti-trend cook. That's fine. Once you've drawn your line in your sand, you need to figure out what you can sell to your audience. And what I mean there is ask people what they want and then give it to them. If you have an existing audience of people who buy cookbooks, that's what you really need is an audience of buyers or an audience of people who at least are grabbing recipes off your blog. If you have over a thousand people, once you have a thousand people, you can really get good poll data. Just say, hey, where do you really struggle in the kitchen? What would be your perfect cookbook? And you can discover a lot of things. Now, for some people, the perfect cookbook is The Bachelor in His 20s, Man's Guide to Healthy But Delicious Eating. There's a group of people, that's all they want. And if your audience turns out to be 22 to 25-year-old single guys, that's the book they want. However, if your audience is all 32-year-old first-time mothers who all have three to five-year-old children, they probably want a cookbook that's about how to deal with a fussy eating child. As my daughter is about to turn four next week, one of the things we deal with is the challenge of her fussy eating. Her mother is an amazing eater. She grew up very close to the earth, very natural, and not because she's a hippie or an environmentalist, but because she grew up in an environment where you grow your own animals and you grow your own food. Not by choice, but by necessity. So she eats fish, she eats very healthy. I don't eat enough fish. I wish I could be a better fish eater because I know it's so healthy. So I want my daughter to follow my wife as an eater, not me. Now I eat okay. I eat better than 99% of Americans and I eat better than I have for most of my life, but I would say I'm a B, B minus on my diet. Whereas my wife's in the A minus to A range. She's not perfect either, no one's perfect, but she's way better than me. So dealing with a fussy eating child is something I'm very aware of and in touch with now because my daughter hated taste until about a month ago. So the main thing she would eat, if you came into our house, you would think we were monsters. She mostly likes to eat plain white rice on a plate with some water under it. So not only is it white rice, it's like watery. And the other thing she likes to eat is ramen without the flavor pack put into it. So you come to the house, it looks like, oh my gosh, these people are peeing their daughter plain ramen and plain white rice. What are they monsters? Is she in jail? But you will put like anything else in front of her and she'd throw it away and she wouldn't like the taste. She hated the flavor of everything. She learned to like ketchup a little bit six months ago, but again, that's not a very sophisticated sauce, is it? So that's something that we've gone through. And even now she's beginning to enjoy new flavors. She's actually entering that next phase, which is exciting. But your audience will have different needs. So asking them what they want is very valuable because everyone wants different things. You might find that your whole audience is paleo, in which case 
you'll have to go look up what paleo means because I don't know all of the rules. I know it's supposed to be eat like a caveman, but I don't know any caveman. I think it's only eat meat and vegetables, but I'm not hundred percent. So you look that up. The other thing you could do is to gather intelligence. So you can actually reverse engineer. If you don't have an audience, you take your area of expertise, you look on Amazon, find those books that are doing well within your area of expertise. So if your area of expertise is halal or any other type of something really specific, right? So you look for the five, let's just say it's halal. You look at the five best halal cookbooks. And what you look for is the books that are making the most money, right? The most successful ones. And then you can look at them and see what types of recipes they have, what type of audience they have, how many recipes are in a book. Very important. Do I need 10 or do I need 500? What percentage of the book is stories and what percentage of the book is content? Do you need the part at the front of the book where you explain your measurement systems? Do you have to teach people at the front of your book the precursor ingredients? For example, with an Asian cookbook, you can have to at the beginning explain how to make chicken stock or how to make uh, certain sauces that then become a key ingredient in other recipes. How to make red bean paste, either people know or they don't know. And if you don't know how to do it, you can't have a recipe where that's an ingredient. You have to teach it at the front of the book. So you need to know the sophistication of your audience. And you could find that by just looking at the competition go, okay, here's what these other books are doing. Here's what they have. Here's what they don't have. Then you read the reviews and you say, here's what people loved. Here's what people didn't love. And so you can gather competitive intelligence. You can gather information about your audience without having the audience yourself yet. This is what I do in every other market. You can also look and see what's working better in your space. Is it a health book or a cookbook? A lot of books about fighting diabetes start off with a lot of principles and end up with 50 or 100 recipes at the back. 21 day cooking guide. I know this because I've worked on a lot of these projects. So these are really, really big spaces. One of the spaces is eating well after 40, eating well after 50, eating well after 60, being healthy in your 60s. That might be a total health book rather than just a cookbook. So this will help you to determine the path you're going to take and what you write and what you create. In order to take your book across the finish line, and we've covered a lot of ground, we're almost there. The next idea is planning out a series. The only way you're ever going to make money is to having multiple books or having other revenue streams. What are you going to sell to people after they buy your book? If you only have one cookbook and that's the only way you're driving revenue, every single dollar you make is from a brand new person. So you have to constantly be in customer acquisition mode. It's almost impossible for you to monetize. But if you have 10 cookbooks, someone comes in, they buy 10. So if you're making $5 per customer, you end up making 10, 20, or 50. And that can help you be much more profitable. Or what you can do is have a cookbook... And then when people go to your website, they can pay more and get the video versions of each lesson. And now that I've said that, I wish I, <laughs> that's the one thing that's not in my notebook today. I wish I thought of it the other day. I'm actually going to go email one of the chefs I'm talking to in five minutes and tell them that exact idea because I think it's actually brilliant. Some people learn by hearing, some people learn by seeing, and that's a great way to have something else or you can sell t-shirts or you can sell sauces. Having something else you're going to sell on the back end. that's how you can have an eye to profit in the future. I know we've had a little bit of a long lesson today. I'm pretty excited. Hopefully the background noise hasn't been too much, but I think this is really, really valuable. So if you've been thinking about going into cookbooks, this is how you can do it. And this is how you can turn cookbooks into cold, hard cash. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Serve No Master. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss another episode. We'll be back tomorrow with more tips and tactics on how to escape that rat race. Head over to servenomaster.com forward slash podcasts now for your chance to win a free copy of Jonathan's bestseller, Serve No Master. All you have to do is leave a five-star review of this podcast. See you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Serve No Master podcast. Follow me at facebook.com backslash serve no master.